uh, Pink Flamingos is uh, probably one of the most uh, well-known works by John Wa- John Waters. Uh-huh. Um, he's a based out of Baltimore. Okay. Um, but it starts divine and um, basically... Is this divine- how much is that puppy in the window movie? Yes. Yes. Um, it's the she one where... Yeah, it oh, is. Yeah, no, it's, real it's, yeah, it's where... Okay, divine who... Uh, famous drag queen. She plays... Um, uh, I Babs swear to Johnson. God, we talked about this. She plays Babs Johnson, too. and she and she proves. I think we that, talked about this on the Lindsay and she, and she proves that she's the like the the grossest, the, yeah, the grossest female, grossest woman alive. And like, it ends with her actually eating dog shit. She actually ate dog shit. Like, for yeah. It's, I'm no. Oh yeah, it's uh. This is not a legendary last. <laughs> Listen, I mean, if y'all, y'all I'm, I'm just suggesting yeah. y'all said y'all should watch the documentary on, on Netflix. It's called I Am Divine. Okay. I Am Divine on Netflix. We'll check it out. Uh, this <laughs> is Legendary Lasses, and I'm Ashley. I'm KB. And I'm Sally. And today, unlike the other two podcasts, I actually know what we're talking about today. Yeah. But I don't know what we're talking about, yeah. so that's new. Well, let me <laughs> share what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about Dr. James Miranda Berry, who is... Um, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, James Miranda Berry. Like, that's... This is a, a podcast about women. Uh-huh. But James Miranda Berry, it sounds like a dude's name. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. James Miranda Berry uh, is actually... Was the Surgeon General of Queen Victoria's Army... Graduated from a medical college in Edinburgh, Scotland, performed the first successful C-section. By successful, I do mean viable, as both the mother and baby lived through the procedure. (laughs) And even wrote how to perform it, really, in his notes. We'll get into it a little bit later, but had a pretty heated argument in the middle of a military quad with Florence Nightingale. (laughs) But Dr. James Miranda Berry was not all what he seemed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously not. I don't know what we're talking about. You see, James Miranda Berry was actually born Margaret Ann Bulkley. I'm done. Uh, What? (laughs) Now, I am a sucker for historical ladies who cross-dress in order to do what they want because it kind of seems like a proto-feminism thing. And pants. And pants. They were trousers. I'm sorry. I need a bifurcated garment. If not, I start a fire with my thighs. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. But it seems like a big... No, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want anyway. And I think that's why I'm such a sucker for these people. But I will say before we jump into this, in talking about these kind of people in a modern setting, it does bring up some tricky negotiation of terms when you're referring to them. Therefore, I've decided for the purposes of storytelling, I'm going to stick with the gender that they are presenting as for that moment in their life. So for everyone's sake, I'm going to be referring to Margaret as she when I'm talking about her. And Dr. Barry, when I'm talking about him, I'll be using he. If I slip up, I'm so sorry. I'm not meaning to offend anyone. Um, It's more of a situation where I can't find proof that Margaret or Dr. Barry preferred to be one gender or the other based on the historical record, other than she didn't want her biological sex to be found out when she died. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be more of a a fear of losing her accomplishments, if that were the case. Mm -hmm. But we'll discuss that a little bit later on. Before we jump into the story, I do want to say that there are very few primary sources on Dr. Barry. It does seem that unfortunately a lot of her military records were locked up for a very long time due to the scandal that was caused when he died. 
it does seem that Barry also did a lot to conceal things about his life, which, yeah, makes sense. However, there are some really great books written about their life. I would consider a lot of them to be closer to creative nonfiction or historical fiction. But there's still great materials to look at if you're interested in this topic and this person. One in particular I highly recommend as a really great source for just a straight biography is The Perfect Gentleman, The Remarkable Life of Dr. James Miranda Barry by June Rose. Excellent writer, very little speculation on her narrative throughout the biography. She's going to give you the facts and make it interesting, but not add to what is already an interesting story in life. Yeah. If you're looking for something a little more on the side of creative nonfiction, but still technically considered biography, I would suggest Scanty Particulars by Rachel Holmes. She has scanty particulars. <laughs> Both are excellent books, but the first recommendation is going to be better for a source of study if that's what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Now it's around 1790 and we are in Cork, Ireland. Okay. Are you picturing it? Yes. Is that where corks come from? <laughs> I was going to ask the same Out thing. of all of the things <laughs> that I expected you to say, it was not that. I expected an attempt at an Irish accent that would offend everyone. I did not expect, <laughs> is that where corks come from? But is it though? Yeah, you, you know, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we don't know the exact year that Margaret Ann Bulkley is born. Or if corks are from Cork, Ireland. <laughs> or if corks are from Cork, Ireland. And this is mostly due to her fudging dates when she does become James Barry. The Bulkley family consisted of Jeremiah, who is the father and worked as a grocer. Mary Ann, who is the mother, she has an older brother named John, and a sister who we do not know a lot about, unfortunately. However, if you go and read some stuff, you will find some ideas and theories that it may actually be the daughter of Margaret Ann Bulkley, who is oh. James Barry, which oh. I don't have enough time to get into in this episode. So it's like the whole like Jack Nicholson thing, right? What? what? <laughs> like, you didn't hear about this? No. Okay, so like I don't I don't keep up to date on um, Jack Nicholson news, so I guess. Like, so like Jack Nicholson growing up, his older sister was like actually like his his mom had him at like a young age and so oh. like they they raised him to where like the, he he thought grandma was mom oh. and his mom was sister. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. It's possible that this I might be wrong on that, but I think well, yeah, it's, no, if that's true, then yeah, it is kind of like that. I, I don't have time to get into it in this episode, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's possible that mm -hmm. um, it was a daughter. Now, the trouble for the family starts when John, the brother, decides it's time for him to get married and leave home. <laughs> but by doing this, he requests a large amount of money from their dad, Jeremiah, in order to buy a farm for him and his new bride-to-be. Mm -hmm. This amount of money that he requests... It ruins the family financially. Oh. Jeremiah is taken to debtor's prison in Dublin, across the country, right? Like, wow. leaving Marianne, the mom, alone with these two girls. Yeah. They're now destitute, no, very little options available to them. Fortunately, Margaret is already literate as a teenager at this time and actually helps transcribe a letter for her mom to what is her mom's brother, so Margaret's uncle. Mary's brother... Margaret's uncle, mm -hmm. is a fairly well-known artist and professor at the Royal Academy at this time, and his name is James Barry. 
Oh, wow. What a clinky dink. Clinky dink. Now, this James Berry that I'm talking about now was very liberal and considered to be kind of eccentric in his ideas for the time. But he has friends in very, very high places and really circulated like the upper class crowd. So no friends in low places like that one song. No. Oh, dear. <laughs> and some of his friends are also very eccentric. When he receives this letter from his sister, he basically says, I'm sorry, I don't have money to send, but why don't you and your daughters come live with me and I'm going to help Margaret with her education. She seems bright. Mm. She wrote this fucking letter. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, she is. But unfortunately, he dies shortly after the letter is no! sent. But they still go to London and find lodgings close to a couple of James Berry's friends. Okay. These friends consist of Dr. Edward Fryer. Doctor important Mm -hmm. um and general francisco miranda who's in exile at this time living in london Hmm. these friends as michael dupree suggests in his article dr james barry the early years revealed are considered to be the ones to instigate this plan for margaret to go into disguise later on Mm -hmm. sometime between january and august of 1805 so for two years margaret and mary and probably this other girl, we don't know for sure, are lodging in London. And then on December 14th of 1809, a young medical student writes the family solicitor, the Bulkley family solicitor, regarding a voyage to Edinburgh. In the letter, they state, it was very useful for Mrs. Bulkley, my aunt, to have a gentleman to take care of her on board ship and to have one in such a strange country. This letter is signed James Barry. From this point on, Margaret Ann Bulkley completely disappears from the historical record, but James Miranda Berry enters the historical record. So did no one ask questions about where her daughter was? So, yeah, actually they did. From There's different ideas, but a lot of them anecdotally say that she's staying in London. Okay. She's staying in London. I, yeah, I got a letter... Oh, yeah. uh, she, she was she was here last week. Oh, you should have seen her. Just missed her. Just missed her. Oh, darn. Oh, dress. I was like, oh, you know, you know it's like, <laughs> oh, I thought she was here last week. I was like, she, she, she um, that's the kind of stuff you could get away she, with. She's in the back room. I remember, girl. This is what I'm saying. Like, I love this time period because it's literally, I could just go to a new town, say a different name, and that's who I am. Well, like, shit, that's, people have to like, take that's you at your word. Like, mm. I mean, that's how H.H. H. Holmes got away with it. Exactly. Like, the like, serial killers. Yeah. Like, sure. Like, <laughs> my uncle lied about his age to join the military, and that was, like, in, like, the Well, he has 50s. something in common with James Barry, then. Oh. Um, now, the reason that, the, the only reason oh, that God. we kind of can link James Barry and Margaret Ann Bulkley together is because <laughs> on the back of the letter, um, it's signed Miss Bulkley. <laughs> 14th of December. Oh. That is the only place. I mean, there's the obvious, like, she's taken her uncle's name mm-hmm. and used the middle name of Miranda to kind of honor this person who has helped mm-hmm. her get here, right? Yeah. But yeah, the only reason we can historically link them together is because on the back of this letter that she sends, or Barry sends, it's written Miss Bulkley, 14th of December, which is when they left. <laughs> This sounds like a mix of a Jane Austen novel and, like, National Treasure. <laughs> we're going to steal the Declaration yeah. of Independence. Like, Well, yeah, I mean, and it's possible they were actually kind of inspired by sort of the National Treasure of their time. Michael Dupree writes about this as well in his 
um, article in his other book about Barry. But he says, or suggests that it's possible Dr. Fryer, General Miranda, and Margaret were inspired to disguise her by another recent female cross-dressing that made news. So brief side story, (laughs) jumping away from James Barry here. Margaret King, who is a former pupil of Mary Wollstonecraft, Mm. who wrote A Vindication of the Rights of Women, and was Mary Shelley's mother. In 1806, King disguised herself as a Frenchman in order to attend lectures in medicine and surgery at the University of Jena. I think I'm saying that right. This probably would have made the rounds of the intellectual circles that they're hanging out in. Um, She's put on a brain and mustache and got some, like, got a baguette. She's like, oh, yeah, you stupid Americans. I'm going to be in this. <laughs> so all these ladies named Margaret are just like making splashes man yeah. um so anyway th- this group was probably familiar and perhaps talking about this incident. and they probably also mm-hmm. watched mrs doubtfire probably oh, that was around back then right yep <laughs> <laughs> uh well in any case let's jump back into the real story that we're talking yeah. about um yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> when James Barry enrolls in medical school in 1809, his short stature and quote-unquote unbroken voice mm-hmm. is chalked up to his excuse of being much younger than those around him. And what about his lady hips? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually a really good question because I was going to talk about this later, but at this time, men's fashion is still pretty flamboyant. And so because their jackets are looser, and they, oh. she's able to disguise her form a little bit more. It's also possible that, again, anecdotally, because we don't have much record, <laughs> it was said that she would wear almost like a winter's coat every single day. Um, oh. No, thank you. Right now it's August in Texas. And it, I'm, but think about it in Edinburgh. Like it's going to so be cold humid, and rainy. But it's also humid. What if it's like not cold? What if it's not rainy? What if it's just like that's oh, true? But I mean, yeah, if your options well, are being exposed and like being, being hot, too hot, I'm gonna go with being hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm all about comfort. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but this excuse of him being actually younger almost blocked him from qualifying as a doctor in the first place. But it's oh. like, oh, I have a good spot in the choir. I'm a soprano. <laughs> <laughs> Except that when Barry attempted to enter his final examination, he was blocked from entering due to his age, and they thought it was a concern, but he was only admitted after an Earl who was a family friend intervened on his behalf. Um, Excuse me, have these people watched Doogie Howser? (laughs) What I love about this is that there's this full community Mm -hmm. standing behind this person. Like, she's bright enough, she can do it. Hell We're gonna step yeah. in. And I don't know if this Earl knew of the disguise going on yeah. or if like, Marianne was like, oh, my nephew. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so now we're going to jump to 1812. And at the age of 22, James Miranda Berry has graduated from medical school and moved back to London to work as an apprentice surgeon at St. Thomas's Hospital. Mm-hmm. 22. Yeah. Like, again, May have been a little bit older because she was lying about her age mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. James Barry. Okay. So everyone kind of would understand why she would look mm-hmm. the way he did. Before all of this, though, Margaret had actually written to her brother John, which was mostly a letter chiding him for dropping his own studies in the legal field. But towards the end of it, she actually writes, Was I not a girl, I would be a soldier. And that is exactly what happened, because in 1813, Dr. James Barry enlists in the army. 
Now, at this time, England has just gotten out of the war with the U.S., the War of 1812, mm-hmm. but they are still continuing on with the Napoleonic Wars. So this is a great time to be an army doctor, but a very, very dangerous time. Yeah. So by 1816, Dr. James Barry receives his posting on the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. He comes to South Africa with a letter of introduction from Lieutenant Colonel Lord Charles Henry Somerset. That's a mouthful. Well, if you can't tell by the title, and the name is a pretty solid patron to have on your side. Yeah. After Barry treated one of Somerset's children, who was just sick with some mild, probably like a cold or something that we would call it today. Here's some Benadryl. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um... Anyway, Dr. James Barry and Somerset became very close friends, which, again, I don't have time to get into too much here. Oh, you yeah. um, But there was a case of someone taking them to court because they said that they saw Somerset buggering Dr. Barry's. Oh. Oh. Uh, Do y'all know yeah. what that means? Yeah. Are you talking about, like, are you about, like sexual harassment? Not harassment. Relations. Okay. Got it. I don't have time to get into it here, but that's a whole thing that y'all can read about. There's too much to cover in one episode about this person, so I'm just going to hit the highlights for everyone here. But while in South Africa, Barry accomplishes some amazing things. His main work is to affect improvements in sanitation and the water supply, but he also works extremely hard to, to better the living conditions of slaves, prisoners, and the mentally ill. He was the only one to create a sanctuary town for the leper population in the area. And I can't find specific evidence, but I've seen it reported several different places that Dr. Barry would consistently give free health care to slaves while basically being a voice for them as well. Wow. So before we get more into what he did in Africa, it's probably time for us to take a little bit of an ad break. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back in just a minute. So maybe from these actions that he took to better the life of people in South Africa, you can't tell what sort of a person Dr. Barry was. So I'm going to try to shed some more light on this situation. Dr. Barry would openly criticize local officials for their actions that ignored issues Dr. Barry deemed to be important for the population. The only reason he wasn't arrested on several occasions was because of his friends like Somerset, who would step in on his behalf. Mm. So this dude is protected basically from all sides. He made the right friends. Yes, he did. Dr. Barry was known to shout at patients and even throw medicine bottles at the wall. (laughs) But it was said that he also had excellent bedside manner when treating very sick patients. Mm -hmm. Dr. Barry was sent to, okay, correct me. Is it Crimea? 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 For the Crimean War? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Crimea. Um, for a very short period of time during the, during the Crimean War, he actually came across Florence Nightingale here, <laughs> um, which I uh, think we all know who Florence Nightingale is, right? The mm-hmm. lady with the lamp, probably one of the most famous nurses, mm-hmm. thought to be such a caring lady who sacrificed so much for her patients, which we should probably talk about her yeah. coming up. Did she start the Red Cross? Was that her? Was that her? I think it might have been. For some I'm reason, I sure. thought it was a Civil War nurse. Maybe I'm wrong. But, right, anyway, we know Florence Nightingale, she's good, right? Yeah. Right? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a bit of a tiff? 
Dr. Barry didn't think she was so good. <laughs> Based on several anecdotes of witnesses who saw this happen, here is one of the interactions between these two giants. Florence is walking across a military quad from one building to another, probably on her way to treat some more patients. Once she reaches the middle of this quad, the short, stout, and loud Dr. Barry gallops up to her on a horse and proceeds <laughs> to read the living daylights out of her. I thought you meant like she was going to gallop up to her like, like in a, uh, like in Monty Python. <laughs> With the coconut? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. She's on like a full steed in uniform, right? Oh, that's yeah. So cool. So really gives her a good lashing right there in the middle of this block of buildings in front of pretty much everyone. And I'm sure probably Florence gave some back, but everyone is pretty struck that some doctor would yell at her like this. After Dr. Barry died, Florence actually comments on this incident saying, quote unquote, I never had such a black guard rating in all my life. Then from this Barry sitting on his horse while I was crossing the hospital square with only my cap on in the sun, he kept me standing in the midst of quite a crowd of soldiers, servants, camp followers, etc., every one of them whom behaved like a gentleman during the scolding I received, while he behaved like a brute. I should say that Barry was the most hardened creature I ever met. <laughs> Which I think is like one of the best quotes I've ever read in my life. Um, so another of Dr. Barry's shining moments is when he gets into a pretty famous duel. <laughs> I was unable to find reference to the exact reason for the duel. Mm -hmm. I've heard it happening during a visit to a bar, which makes sense. Or simply just because these two men were angry at each other for disagreements. And someone got the last pretzel bite. <laughs> <laughs> also, when I read about this, all I can hear is, Ten Dual Commandments from Hamilton. And like, that's all I hear. <laughs> uh, in any case, Dr. Barry challenges one Captain Josias Cloty of the 21st Light Dragoons to a pistol duel. <laughs> Whatever. Now, Barry's aim is so good that he actually strikes the captain's cap and removes its peak. Now, let me describe the type of cap we're talking about here. It's kind of what you would see on a stereotypical toy soldier. So it's those kind of taller cylindrical hats where there's like a, a peak at mm -hmm. the front facing center of the cap that has like feathers on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, this feathered portion is what I'm assuming is considered the peak clean off with the force of Barry's bullet, which is like inches from this man's head. Dr. Barry is also shot during this duel and he gets hit in the leg. So he's wounded now, but he's also dressing to disguise his biological sex. So what is he going to do? Take the bullet out of him. <laughs> so from the get-go, Dr. Barry never allowed anyone to be in the same room if he was undressing, which makes sense, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. I get it. But also kept a standing order for all those that served under him that in the event of his death, strict precautions were to be adopted to prevent, quote-unquote, any examination of his person. So this included instructions that, quote-unquote, the body should be buried in the bedsheets where he died without further inspection. With instructions like these, I think it's clear that he's not going to let anyone operate on him or even pull out a metal ball fired from a gun that is lodged in his leg. Yeah. So he just does it himself. He operates on himself, removes the bullet, cleans it as best he can, just kind of goes on with his day. <laughs> like, like a badass. And it is nuts like this is buck wild that's fucking crazy. can you imagine having to dig like an old school yeah metal pellet from a flintlock pistol out 
thank you. Those things are huge. Yeah. Oh my god. He's lucky he didn't bleed out, to yeah. be perfectly honest. But anyway, these are just a couple of the incidences that made Dr. Berry sort of infamous in his day. There are a ton more, actually, but I just can't cover everything in one episode. Um, so I highly recommend you go read about his life in the Army. He is actually court-martialed at one point, and even, uh, like I said, put on trial for homosexual relations. Just imagining him as, like, old-timey medical Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> he is that oh kind of, like, buck-wild yeah. gang. Like, I cannot. Like, what you were saying about the bedside manner and stuff, yeah. it seems like... Oh, it's like, like you watched that video, simple. like, of him, like, uh, was, like, Master Chef Junior, and he's like, with the kid. Yeah, yeah, he's so sweet. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. With, like actual sick people. Yeah, he's very good. And anyone that sh like he deems incompetent yeah. in any way or anything, he, will, he is gonna like. He, he will imagine. tell you yeah. for free. I imagine it's like getting, just like getting the shit read out of you by uh, RuPaul. Mm -hmm. Like I can't even. Not even RuPaul. Like. Jackie B or Bianca Del Rio. Yeah, fair. Ooh, scary. <laughs> um, but you know the question, like, if you could invite any person to a dinner party, who would it be? Yeah. Dr. Barry is always going to be on my list. Like, this dude's dinner party stories, gang, it would be insane. Also, like, I just kind of want to witness him yelling at my other dinner party kids. You want to see him watch him yell at me? All I'm trying to do is get some snacks. But, like, can you imagine him interacting with, like, Edgar Allan Poe? <laughs> like, it would just be the craziest dinner party anyone's ever been to. And I want it to happen, but I don't have a way back time machine, so it can't. Well, we need to get a way, way back machine. Come on. <laughs> How are we going to get one of those? Listen, people donate money. Is this a good time to plug our upcoming podcast, My Dead 19th Century Boyfriend? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's the plug? So, the, I guess the male counterpart kind of to this yeah. is um, My Dead 19th Century Boyfriend, which started from... Basically, all of us really like kind of one person. Really, I don't know who that person is. Sally. I think. I think. I think. I don't know. I don't do know. know. I Actually, don't know. I think you do know because do we know because it's you. It's me. What? Yeah. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Definitely, Ashley. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna say these two words, and I just I no, want, don't. I want you. I just want to hear the first thing that like that that come to your mind. Branwell Bronte. <laughs> Peanut butter Bronte. <laughs> I love him so much. See, exactly. Listen to uh, my dead 19th century boyfriend. We don't coming know what it's to coming. to a podcast store near you. Podcasts aren't sold in stores. They're free. Yeah. <laughs> but coming to a podcast platform near you. Yeah. Hopefully soon. <laughs> anyway, let's jump back in. Obviously, Dr. Barry is known for more than just his quick temper. Throughout his very prestigious career, which took him to a lot of different postings all around the world. He was finally promoted to Inspector General of Hospitals on September 25th, 1857. That sounds really proper. He's just like, that sounds very appropriate for him. He's just like... It's a hell of a title. Yeah. That's, yeah. You get up there. But I can see him like going throughout the hospital being like, that bed is askew. <laughs> No, but, like, can you imagine having your hospital like, inspected by this and man? And he has, like, yeah. the white glove, and he just, just wipes like, it. Dust. 
He oh. is Gordon oh, Ramsay. Look he at is. this. <laughs> he is the 18, 1800s Gordon oh, Ramsay. Look at this. <laughs> dust. In dust? my hospital. Anyone? Dust? Well, especially <laughs> since you said he was so concerned with sanitation. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is actually going to come back later when we talk about the C-section. Mm-hmm. Anyway. He really did make a name for himself as a master surgeon, which also seems to be a reason he sort of got away with some of the stuff he did. No one can deny his medical expertise, and they realized they needed that, right? Yeah. Especially during the Napoleonic Wars. He was the first one called for, quote-unquote, fractures. I'm just going to say STDs because I can't speak today. There we go. Um, An occasional hernia and amputation. Mm-hmm. Which I think really says a lot about his skill as it covers such a wide variety of treatments, yeah. right? Like, I think today we think about it like a specialist, right? Yeah. He is all around master surgeon. Mm-hmm. He's going to get called for whatever needs to be done. Yeah. Now, this skill was proved more than ever in 1826 when Dr. Barry is woken in the middle of the night with a mother in the middle of labor who has come to see him. Dr. Barry sees this woman, tells his soil, his soil, his servant. <laughs> tells the soil. You're doing a great job. I think I read boil when I tried to say servant. Anyway, Dr. Barry tells his Oh, my tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Dr. Barry uh, tells his servants to Boil my cans. He what? tells his servants to boil water, I'm guessing, <laughs> yes. for noodles? <laughs> Not for noodles. Um, and clean off the kitchen table. Once both of these things are done, Dr. Barry lays this woman on his own kitchen table and begins examining her. From the start, he pretty much knows that this woman is not going to be able to deliver the baby naturally. So he goes and grabs his doctor supplies um, and attempts to. Oh sink. yeah, you know, right by your toolkit <laughs> under the sink. As a doctor, yeah, and I mean, the, yeah, on yeah. the Cape, yeah, um, and attempts a cesarean delivery. Now, at this time in history, no one in England had ever performed this surgery successfully, and I could only find one other reference to it being successfully done elsewhere in the world. And by successfully, like, both of them lived. Both of them lived. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, mom and baby both died. Oh, gosh. Um, because it's it's such a complicated procedure. Yeah. yeah. Now, based on his notes and the records, there's really nothing pointing that Dr. Barry did anything different than people who were already attempting this. It really is marked up to his skill and probably his devotion to overall cleanliness, Yeah, which is still kind of a new point uh, in medical history at this time. So this could have lowered the chances of surgical surgical infection significantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after the harrowing surgery, baby is delivered, he's healthy, cleans up mom and makes sure she's okay, keeps them there for a little bit to make sure mom isn't going to start bleeding again, and then kind of just sends them on their way, not expecting anything of this. It is said that the mom and dad, though, were so grateful that a few weeks later they sent Dr. Barry a hefty fee for his services, which he denied, and in return wrote back, quote-unquote, if they wished to thank him, they could do so by naming the boy after him. And a few weeks later, the child is baptized as James Barry, with Dr. Barry there at the service as his godfather. Feel-good story. (laughs) I know. I love that so much. (laughs) It makes me very happy. Having an asshole. Imagine having Gordon Ramsay as your godfather. Ah, that would be amazing. Right? He'd be such a good mentor, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. 
Have you seen him roast people on Twitter for their dinners? Yes. yes. That is my favorite thing. Yes. Oh, my God. So I really do wish I had more time to talk about some of the other stuff he did, but we're going to jump to London, 1865. Okay. okay. Dr. Barry is forced to retire due to ill health and soon dies of dysentery, which mm. I think is a little ironic. Yeah. Um, at his home in London, he dies. Yeah. Against his explicit instruction and final wishes, the body is laid out for burial and examination. A maid is charged with the duty of washing the body before examination, at which point she discovers Dr. Barry's biological sex. She then attempts to blackmail Dr. Barry's doctor at the time, assuming he must have known Mm -hmm. that this was a woman, which... Like, yeah, you're a doctor for this person. You probably do know. But the doctor responds to her in, like, the best way possible and in shorthand tells her to kindly fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be deterred from her actions, she spills the beans anyway, and a media frenzy ensues in Britain. Some military records are locked, and there's this sort of continuous buzz about the doctor, even into the 1930s, when people are publishing short novellas, usually titled something like The Astonishing Life of the Scandalous Dr. Barry, which has kind of continued to today, because it is impressive. Yeah. Not only all that Dr. Barry was able to accomplish, but also that he hid a big secret like this for 50 years. Yeah, that's a long time. And kind of like how you brought up with disguising her womanly hips, I think is what you said. Um, You may be asking how she was able to conceal this for so long around all of these men for years, day in and day out. So I already mentioned earlier in this time of Dr. Barry's life, the jackets and pants, they're still a little bit more flamboyant. When we get... Closer to the mid-800s, everything comes a little bit tighter, a little bit more form-fitting. Mid-800s? You mean the mid-800s? Did I say 800s? Yeah. Uh, 1800s. So it's like, sorry. <laughs> it's really old. <laughs> but when we get to this time period, it's possible that Dr. Barry actually used cloth wadded up or folded mm-hmm. to help keep the strict shape of the shoulders in the jackets at that time. Oh, it was like shoulder pads. Yeah, Basically, the creator of shoulder pads. There is an anecdotal information that servants were tasked to lay out his jackets and about five cloths every day, mm. which I think, yeah, that could be used to fill out a jacket and make your shoulders look broader. But I also wonder if he's requesting five cloths to be laid out every day in order to mask a menstrual cycle. Oh. Maybe this is kind of out there and I am kind of speculating, but if a servant is asked to do something every day, it's not going to be out of the norm. Whereas if suddenly Dr. Barry needed cloths yeah. for a week every month, it'd be a little bit different. So I don't know. Again, I'm speculating. Just a thought about it. But it's an interesting one. Well, there's no way I can cover such a kick-ass life like Dr. Barry in an hour. So I really do encourage everyone to do some more research if they're interested. Should I put up a list of books for this? I, I yeah. do have like a bibliography. I wrote yeah. a paper on Dr. Barry. Yeah. So. Is that should. boring? I don't think it is, but... <laughs> I mean, we are a history podcast, so... Yeah. Yeah. That's Dr. Barry. Dr. Barry. What are I, we doing next? I think we talked about doing, like, starting a series on, like, women of music. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And we do have a special spooky soda episode for October plan. We do. That I'm let's very excited. We're going to keep that, that under wraps. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep that under wraps. 
but uh, but definitely look forward to us talking about some some ladies of music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll probably have a guest join us for mm-hmm. at least one or two of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how yeah. exactly when she'll be available, but. It'll be nice to have her on and have a fourth mm-hmm. voice with us for a little bit. Yeah, I think we should have one specialty ASMR episode. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's our outro, you guys? You know, I think it should be <laughs> not ASMR. Not ASMR. Then I fine. Can we have a chant about kick-ass ladies? <laughs> This seems a little too ritualistic, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Which is great cult practices. Oh, no. <laughs> we cannot start a history cult, you guys. Katie Beth won't let us start a cult. For good reasons. I'm just saying <laughs> we could form a nonprofit, get that money, avoid taxes. No. And cheer what? people up. Listen. Only one of those things is a good thing. <laughs> I think all of those things are a good thing. Hell yeah. Right? No. No um. history cult. We can't do it. <sighs> Fine. She never lets us have any fun. She did let I'm, us on a podcast. I mean, kind of cool. yes. I guess. That's cool. Whatever. There was that one time where, actually two times now, where she has let us out in public together, Sally. Which, like... I don't know how she managed. We did get to meet John Leguizamo. We did. (laughs) And we didn't tackle him. No. Which I think was a big... To be fair, he was sitting at a table. That's true. But we were going to tell them, tell him that The Pest was our favorite movie and ask him to be stinky dinky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is the second time we've talked about John Leguizamo. And The Pest. Yes. All right, well, I guess that's it for this episode, everyone. Um, I hope you like Dr. Fairy as much as I do. Yeah, I uh, love listening to you talk about mm-hmm. him. I, I really yeah. love him. Uh, I think he's very, very interesting. There's there's some other people that uh, I might want to do an episode on that kind of have some similar patterns that maybe we can talk about. Yeah. I'm going to keep them under wraps, though, because I don't want anybody researching them before we do an episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys. Um, you can Thank follow us on Twitter you. at Lasses Legendary. Um, we also have a Facebook page for Legendary Lasses. Uh, is that all there? Do so we have an email? We have an email. You can email us at legendarylasses at gmail.com. That's it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.